Tripoders, we are back this week with another new extra segment. I did something this week that I don't always do. Uh, I sat down with two directors of a new local play here in New Orleans. Um, Chris Kamenstein and Kyoko McRae are the co-directors of this new play called The Stranger Disease. And they are part of this theater group called Goat in the Road. Um, You may have seen the last production that they put up, which was called Foreign to Myself. It was it was really great. Very powerful play about veteran suicide. And the reason that I sat down with Chris Kamenstein and Kyoko McRae for The Stranger Disease is that the play takes place in 1878 in New Orleans. So it's historical, which obviously piqued my tripod ears. It has two main storylines. One is that 1878 saw a major yellow fever outbreak. And so people in the city were deciding whether to leave or whether to stay. So there's a lot of tension and drama and fear and dynamics that are playing out amongst neighbors and community members because of the way that that disease was pervading the city in the year of 1878. And also because 1878 is uh, a year that's inching towards the end of the Reconstruction era. And the Reconstruction era is a fascinating time period after the Civil War for the whole country, but it really has a life of its own here in New Orleans. And so the stranger disease is about an interracial couple that did really exist, uh, Joe Mathis and Adeline Stringer. And they were together for over 30 years before the Civil War, during the Civil War, after the Civil War, uh, during the Reconstruction period. And so it's about that couple living a day in the life in 1878 while the yellow fever is taking over the city of New Orleans. And I wanted to ask Chris and Kyoko what it was that made them so interested in focusing in not, you know, in in focusing in on this year. And, you know, the way the the play is set up is one day in 1878 that kind of delves into all of these things. So I just I wanted to I wanted to. And so I wanted to see, you know, what got them interested in yellow fever and what got them interested in the Reconstruction era and how they put that into a work of um, historical fiction on the stage. So that's what you're about to hear. I met with them at the historic Madame John's Legacy Home in the French Quarter. That's where the performance takes place. They kind of occupy the whole house and the audience kind of moves around with the performers through the house. Um, So that's where I met them. That's where the conversation took place. And I start by asking Chris Kamenstein to explain the play's title. Here's the show. Stranger Disease is based on the nickname for yellow fever, which was actually the Stranger's Disease. And the reason it had that nickname was because there was kind of a popular mythology that only immigrants or people who weren't natives would contract the disease. But it was also meant as a pejorative, as a way to separate people who thought they were from here from um, new immigrants, new waves of immigrants. It has a nativist tinge or was meant to have a nativist tinge. We thought that that, uh, because the piece is partly about yellow fever and about people deciding to leave the city, we thought the idea of the stranger disease being both something that's about yellow fever and also about the 
It's a disease that human beings carry with them, the disease of feeling like strangers are not fully human. The stranger disease is like the basic animus behind most of human violence, the idea that we um, can't see someone else's humanity. It's something we all struggle with. So I felt like that um, title could kind of play both roles. And what's the play about? The, the stranger disease centers around a particular day in 1878 as members of the household decide whether to leave because of a potential yellow fever outbreak or not. So on the one hand, we're looking at yellow fever and this yellow fever outbreak that really did happen in 1878, one of the worst of the 19th century. And then the other half of the play is centered around this relationship between Adeline Stringer and Joe Mathis, a relationship between a, a white man and a woman of color at that time. It's a moment when people, especially people of color, are trying to contend with their changing role in the city. Norms and laws around um, race and uh, skin color were changing rapidly every two or three years. Um, so we were inspired by that relationship. We fictionalized uh, parts of it and tried to bring us into a day in the life of that relationship. So Joe and Adeline were together for roughly 30 years, right? And because there's three decades of right. this relationship, it's this amazing microcosm to see what was changing in terms of race relations and what was happening in the city through this couple that started before the Civil War, maintained itself throughout the Civil War and during the Reconstruction period. I mean, that's amazing. So what can we learn from an interracial couple spanning those three eras? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that Adeline, to me, is just like such a remarkable woman who did an, who achieved so much in her lifetime and was with great courage and bravery. I mean, you know, one of the things that we've referenced in the play is the fact that when she was still enslaved, would go to the Mathis household and and go to go talk to Joe and go on walks with him and. Uh, you know, for a young woman who was still enslaved at the time to have the courage to do that was remarkable. It's easy, I think, when you reflect on history to see how things unfolded. But at the time, they didn't, they had no idea what was going to happen next and how the laws were going to change, whether it was going to be in their favor or against their favor. How has reading about this relationship made you think about present day perceptions and realities for interracial couples? Well, I guess as someone who's in an interracial marriage, <laughs> I was going to say, well, why, why are you laughing? Oh, you must be laughing because <laughs> someone has a personal experience to share. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. I, You know, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I, I haven't really had a lot of conversation with them about race. And, I'm, um, you know, for me personally, it's like, yeah, grappling with, like, how to do that, how to talk about what it means for them to be mixed race of, from different places. And, you know, I think that's that's the part about racism and, and this construct of race that's really dehumanizing because it doesn't just strip people of color away of of their identity and their history and their culture. It's, it's, it's dehumanizing for white people as well, right? Who, like, that process of becoming white was a process in which you had to shed and get rid of your own culture. So even in this play, you know, we have an Irish character who is is we don't touch about touch on it too much, but is experiencing that process of what it become what it means to become white. Um, because to be Irish was not, you know, really acceptable either. So I do want to ask a few questions about the other intersecting storyline here with with the yellow fever. Um, 
yellow fever has struck New Orleans for a, over the course of many, many, many years. And actually, some of the, this 1878 period that you are all residing in is the second to last major epidemic in New Orleans and in Louisiana altogether. Why was this interesting to you? And what type of role does it play in in this work? Yeah, as Chris said before, like this, this idea of like the disease being a metaphor for other things, implicit and explicit bias plays a role in that when you are trying to make sense of this disease and like, why is it here and who's bringing it? And there's no actual scientific basis for it, much like race does not have any scientific basis, um, that it, it kind of illuminates um, our biases and, and, and the ways that people were thinking at the time. And, you know, I think it's still true today. And I think there is a part of it that's like, it's creepy and weird. And when you read the accounts, you're creeped out and weirded out. So there's part of it that just is like kind of fascinating in the way a horror movie is fascinating. And there's another part to it that feels like at the moment that um, something like this happens in a community or in a city, all the divisions between people become starkly apparent because people uh, retreat to where they're comfortable and they feel safest. Wow, okay, well, last question is just to give the listeners an an idea of how the play goes, because I know that this is not your conventional come sit down and see a play, so can you just give us an idea of what one can expect when they come see The Stranger Disease? It's an immersive play, and what that means is you have choice. There are seven different characters. There are lots of different paths to follow. You can follow any of the characters around the house, and you can follow them into the scenes that they have. And so you quite a number of different ways you can watch the play. And each time you watch it, you will get a different um, sense of it. So in one sitting, you kind of do two rotations of stuff, and so that you have this chance to watch this play in this uh, unique way. All right, well, Chris and Kyoko, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Lane. It's really been a pleasure. Tripod is a production of WWNO New Orleans Public Radio in collaboration with the Historic New Orleans Collection and the Midlow Center for New Orleans Studies at UNO. Special thanks to Evan Christopher for the opening theme music, to the entire Tripod editorial committee, and to Tripod's editor, Eve Abrams. Catch Tripod on the air Thursdays during Morning Edition and again on Mondays during All Things Considered. Listen to Tripod whenever you want by subscribing to the Ye Olde podcast and give it that Ye Olde rating and that Ye Olde review. Um, Stranger Disease stuff. It opens tomorrow, Friday, March 23rd, and runs through April 15th. You can find out more information on tickets and showtimes at WWNO.org, where we have this conversation uh, available to listen to again and also links to buy tickets. Um, While you're there, make sure you also go to all your social media places and follow us at Tripod Nola on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I think that's it for this week. It was a shorter one than usual. It's our pledge drive, so if you care about WWNO and you realize that you listen a lot and you haven't donated, now's the time to maybe think about giving us a little bit of a donation. It helps me, it helps Tripod, it helps everyone else at WWNO. Um, I found out that only 5% of WWNO listeners are members, which is really just a hard stat to swallow. So think about it. If you are one of the 95% of people that are enjoying this content, 
you know, show some love. That's all I got to say. And on that note, with love, I'm Lane Katzen-Levinson, and I'll try to you later. <laughs>